welcome to the Proper Mental Podcast. Normalising open and honest conversations about mental health by having open and honest conversations about mental health. Welcome back to the Proper Mental Podcast. Before we get into this episode, you know what to do by now. Pause, head to the episode notes, and you will see a link to the Mental Health Blog Awards. And you can click on that and vote for me in the Best Podcaster category. Voting is open for another couple of weeks, so if you vote now, I can stop nagging you to vote. And that's what we all want, let's face it. So if you could do that for me, it takes seconds, literal seconds. It would be very much appreciated. Awesome. So here we go. Welcome to another episode of the Proper Mental Podcast. It's episode 77. And my guest this week is Bon Collins, who is a strength conditioning and weightlifting coach, an endurance athlete and a body neutrality expert. And I've got to say that this episode has a little bit of everything in it. Bon grew up in a very traumatic environment. And when she left that environment at the age of 18, then she had to deal with everything that came with it. She's also had to live a lot of her life with chronic pain issues. And at one point that left her confined to a wheelchair. And we talk about that and how that affected her mental health. We talk about going from that wheelchair to learning to walk again and learning to walk again to running marathons and doing endurance challenges. We also talk a lot about her work as a coach and as a body neutrality expert. And I think this part of the conversation is going to resonate with so many people. I think if you're listening to this, you're going to find it really, really relatable because Bond spent the first 20 odd years of her life on some sort of diet. None of them worked. And it was only when she started to address her relationship with herself that she was able to really like take control and make serious changes to her physical health. And I can't think of anyone in my life who's not faffed around with some sort of diet at some point I can think of even less people who have faffed around on some sort of diet and it's actually worked and me and Bond talk a lot about how we try and control the outside when we're maybe not so happy with the inside it's a wonderful part of the conversation Bond has some fantastic insights the way she looks at this stuff and the way she helps people with this stuff is really really brilliant Bon was so lovely to speak to and so much fun as well. There's a lot of daftness in this episode and a lot of laughing. And I hope you enjoy that as much as you enjoy some of the deeper and more challenging aspects of the conversation. I'd highly recommend her social media at Be More Bon. Not only can you see more about what she does and how she does it, but also how much passion she has for it, you know, and how much she believes in it and how much she lives and breathes it. And her content's great. I highly recommend it. You can see more about her work as well via her website, which is bemore-bon.com. If you'd like to know more about me, at Proper Mental Podcast in all the usual social media type places. If you want to get in touch, head to propermentalpodcast.com and send me an email via the website. There's a link in these episode notes to buymeacoffee.com if you'd like to buy me a virtual coffee and support the podcast that way. Another way you can support is to take a minute to rate, review, subscribe on whatever platform you get your podcasts from. It would be really appreciated and it really does make a difference. Other than that, let's crack on with Proper Mental episode 77 with Bon Collins. 
Thank you for listening. Enjoy. conversation I don't know later today last week next week it would probably be completely different right yeah absolutely yeah absolutely get a a snapshot (laughs) send it out into the world and be gone with it yeah that is it and you've picked a really good week to interview me because I'm in the middle of a big flare-up of my uh, long-term diseases so mental health is like on my mind even more so it's it's at the forefront that battle yeah so what a week to do it oh mate look at that (laughs) (laughs) it's almost as if I knew I know (laughs) <laughs> you know, I sometimes I do sometimes feel like um like I'm very hard I try very hard not to come across as like some sort of horrible ambulance chaser <laughs> like I'm just on Instagram waiting for people to have a breakdown so I can slide into their dms <laughs> it's like... <laughs> yeah I guess we could all feel like that even like with fitness I could say oh God, I'm waiting for people to like fall apart and realize they haven't got a handle on taking care of themselves and then here I am yeah don't look at it that way you're opening up conversations about something really important that isn't talked about enough still um and that's the important thing that's the important thing oh super i'll do a a tiny little um intro mate and we'll just dive straight in bonner awesome let's do it so here we are with another episode of the proper mental podcast and my guest this week is bon collins how are you mate i'm good thank you Well, that was a rubbish answer, actually. (laughs) That was a very English answer, wasn't it? I'm not good. I'm in the middle of a flare-up of a long-term chronic condition I have. But other than that, I am good. Other than that, yeah. I mean, do you know what? Exactly what you just did then is exactly what we all do, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, It's very British. Or like where I come from in Suffolk, people, if you ask them how they are, they say, oh, fair to middling. And, and you're just like, well, what does that mean? On a scale of one to ten, are you good? Are you, what's going on? So- yeah, what do, what do I do with that? Yeah. <laughs> but I think even like, even someone like myself, I'm used to talking about my mental health. I do it all the time. And yet still, I do exactly the same thing. I just go yeah. for the, and it's only afterwards I think, well, I'm not really practicing what I preach here. I just no. said I was good and I wasn't, you know. But uh, yeah. yeah, it's just it's mad, very, very interesting. Yeah. Oh, mate, I'm really excited to chat uh, to you today. And there's so much stuff around around your work that you do that I want to talk about. And particularly, um, particularly the way that you look at things in yeah. the area of fitness that you work in, because I think that's really important. And I think yeah. how we think and feel about ourselves massively impacts mental health. Yeah. And yeah. I'm sure we're going to get into that. Yeah. But I suppose to get us there, to get us to the now, could we rewind a little bit, mate? Yeah, where's absolutely. The, Go for where's it. the best place? Um, do you feel in your story where's the best place to jump in to to kick us off it's a long old story because really for me I mean mental health is something we all have every single day of our lives um and I think like for me I probably became most of well I have to say I was thinking about this before I came on actually I first became aware of mental health when I was just four years old um was a long time ago um and it was because my birth father um had bipolar and I got to see in in you know in the family home the impact that that had I remember him being in a hospital but it wasn't a normal one because I wasn't allowed to visit um I remember him being on medication and that changing things and so I have some quite strong memories from a young age of that 
Um, and then I think I was always quite aware of mental health growing up, but not in a good way, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so I had a very different upbringing. So um, I grew up in what I know now as an adult to be a cult. Um, it's not very common in the UK. So it was um, different. And obviously that had quite an impact on my mental health. And when I did finally leave, I left at 18. Um, and I even after I left, I didn't realise it wasn't how everybody else lived their lives um, until a specific incident happened about six months after I left. And that was when my friends were like, that's not what parents do. That's like, that's not normal. And then everything came crashing down. So I think for many years, I'd been aware that I wasn't happy. Um, and I felt quite conflicted, but I didn't really couldn't put my finger on it and didn't know um, how to deal with it. So I would say from that point on, really, at 18, it then became a big part of my life. Yeah, I yeah. mean, that's really interesting because we do, you know, we only know the world that's around us. Yeah. And yeah. if that involves not feeling very good, then we just assume that that's the norm, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I like... I, there's so many societal factors that can chip away about our mental health and, and how we feel about ourselves. And I remember I had, a, I had a job for a long time that I didn't like. And because no one there liked it, like I just thought that's what people did. They went yeah. and they did jobs that they didn't like. And, you know, over time that just chipped away at me, yeah. that, you know, and that was so common, but because we were all in the same boat and like everyone moaned about the job, everyone hated it. And yeah. I think that's a really good point is that sometimes you can't see the wood for the trees, right? You can't, you oh, don't yeah, know what, you don't know what it's supposed to look like because you only yeah. know what it looks like to you. And then when you're feeling so bad, you think that you might be the only person who really feels that bad. So you think, well, I shouldn't voice that because everyone has what's, you know, stuff going on. So this is, and I think that was my biggest mistake was I came out of that situation and I was in a really deep, dark place and I wouldn't talk about it because you know, I didn't want to, A, I didn't want to ruin everybody else's nice sunshine filled lives because it was dark and it was not great stuff. But on the flip side, everybody else was doing okay. So surely I should be and, and you know, I should just get up and get on with it. And I did that for such a long time. Yeah. And I, I think on the whole, like aspect, the whole spectrum of mental health, people have that sort of self-stigma regardless of where they are on that point. Absolutely. So I've spoken to people who didn't want to say anything because they felt that their trauma wasn't traumatic enough. And I've spoke yeah. to people whose trauma was so big, they thought no one would be able to cope with this, it. And, and for me, it was no one's going to believe this. If I say this out loud, people are going to go, don't be stupid. That doesn't happen. Like, and it, you, you just, and, and I guess now I know as an older adult and having processed it all, those were feelings that had been implanted in me by those around me in that situation to prevent me from talking about it over time. But actually, it was very real. It, it happened and I needed to talk about it. I needed to unpick what had gone on and understand my worth and value because I'd grown up thinking that I wasn't good enough, you know, because I felt differently about what was going on. So it was, yeah, it's and that sliding scale thing. You know, this was back in the mid 90s. So mental health wasn't really a conversation back then. And struggling with your mental health was really difficult because I felt like there was something really very wrong with me. And I think I didn't seek help for such a long time because of that. Um, and looking back now, you know, I, I wish I had. I wish I'd understood that our mental health is like our physical health. Sometimes we feel great. Sometimes we don't feel great. Sometimes we might have a specific, you know, problem that has ways that it can be treated. And there's nothing wrong with any of that. That's just the human brain. And, and you know, 
that's okay and and yeah so stigma is huge self-stigma more so now I think but back then the stigma of you know what I was going through was was massive and and not a healthy place to talk about it yeah sure and you know like you say at that time point like mental health there wasn't a conversation right do you know what I mean I, I, I was a teenager in the 90s and there was there was no conversation it wasn't like you know like years later when I got poorly or realized how poorly I was I would have said if you'd asked me there was no conversation but there yeah. was one I just never heard it <laughs> but, yeah, but back yeah. back then people weren't even having it man like it just didn't exist and, right? yeah and if you uh, if you displayed any behaviors where you were struggling that was a problem for everyone you know I did go through stages where I self-harmed um, I didn't eat. I, I did everything I could to be horrible to myself. And it did culminate when I was 21. Um, so still in the 90s in, you know, my uh, attempt on my own life, because in that moment, I didn't understand how to process any of it. And that wasn't treated with compassion. Uh, that wasn't treated with understanding. At that point, it was still very much a bad thing that I did. And and then you have to deal with that afterwards. I, I can look back now and I can say that was you know, I genuinely thought in that moment that the world would be a better place with that, that other people would be happier. Um, it wasn't about me as a, as a person. It was about the world and, and the impact that would have. And that was my only solution. Um, yeah. And I, I think it's good that we can have open conversations about this now because, uh, you know, a lot more people would have struggled to, to have that conversation back then and come out of it. And I think it's great that even if we do find ourselves in that place now, it, people are much more open to having that conversation of why did you feel like that and we want you here you know I, I've fostered over the years and I, I had one particular young person who who battled that on a day-to-day -day basis and I would always say to them you know I would rather spend four or five hours the entire night awake talking to you tonight than never talk to you again you know and and, and it makes me happy that we can now have those conversations whereas before we couldn't yeah definitely it's almost like working through the the layers of stigma so yeah. like suicide still feels like the the last taboo doesn't it you know yeah. people are scared of it's, it's one of those words that people kind of um they almost like mouth at you so they'll yeah. be talking and then they'll say oh yeah but you know nearly went you know suicide you know yeah. and do that like funny still, yeah. face around it yeah it's, it's not a i mean my first experience of suicide was at a younger age um i lost someone by suicide when i was 18 that I was particularly close to and it was understanding, you know, that person's journey and, and where they were at at that point. Um, but again, there was so much stigma, you know, and it's just seen as such a negative thing. And almost like you're not allowed to remember them in a good way if that's how it went down. But that's like ridiculous because they're a human being. And regardless of, of where they ended up, you know, they're still the same person. Um, so, yeah, it's been refreshing to see that change, but we're still a long way to go yeah yeah definitely it kind of feels like we're working our way through it like yeah. you know like it's much more commonplace to talk about like depression and anxiety they're like the poster children of mental yeah. health almost and then yeah. we're slowly trying to get into the more uh complexities of like mental yeah. illness and and digging a bit bit deeper into it but um, well, i always say like if you think about it the disability discrimination act was passed in 1996 so that's what nearly 30 years ago and we're still a far way away from where we should be with how we treat disabilities so it takes time that's why we shouldn't give up and we should continue to have the conversations yeah very much so yeah very very much so so how did you how did you learn bond to start talking about these stuff how did you you know start to to get their help 
I think some of it was necessity at the time. You know, I was in a really deep, dark place and, and it wasn't good. Um, and I was very fortunate, I guess, that, um, you know, there was availability of services. So I remember having a community psychiatric nurse who would visit me regularly. Um, and there was an understanding that I kind of needed that support. Um, but I guess, like, over time, I just had to process. But interestingly... I thought I'd processed it back then after that all happened and then life carried on a bit and, and life happens and you just get on with it, don't you? Um, and I made some choices. So when I got married, I thought I wanted my birth family there. I still had that kind of attachment. I think many children who come out of families who back, I mean, we have more open conversations about things like safeguarding now as well. We didn't back then. And I think there may be many other people of my age who maybe were in not the same situation, but similar situations who then felt they should still get on with their family and that they should be part of their lives and all of these things. And um, it wasn't until actually uh, I was 37, so that's what, seven years ago, that um, someone, um, I had some more counselling, I was diagnosed with PTSD, um, and someone during that process said to me, you know, if anybody else did what your birth family did to you, would they be a part of your life? And I'd, no one had ever phrased it like that. And it was understanding that I had allowed people to treat me in a way that just wasn't acceptable just because they gave birth or created me in the first place. And that was a really freeing moment in the whole thing as well. So I would say I dealt with some of it when I was younger, but then there was a lot that I then had to unpick much later. I went through that phase of just getting on with life, you know, just doing the things, hitting all the milestones that we're supposed to hit. And then um, it just manifested itself. Um, in I lost my auntie, who was actually a really positive part of my growing up um, quite suddenly. And she was only 60, so she wasn't particularly old. Um, and I think that really just compounded everything that I'd been feeling behind the scenes. And that came out. Um, initially, I didn't really understand what was going on. So I, at the time, I ran. Um, that was how I was getting fit at the time. And when I was running, I constantly thought I was being chased. Um, and it was and I'd still force myself to go out for a run because I, I liked running, but I couldn't understand why. Um, and thankfully, I, I you know, was able to speak to someone and, and very quickly they sort of said, don't think you've dealt with everything that you need to deal with. And I realized and I, I was lucky to be able to access things like EMDR um, and actually realized that I was still very much living all of the childhood stuff in my day to day. It was impacting my sleep, you know, how I felt about myself, my anxiety levels um, and different behaviours. So I feel very fortunate that I could then sit down and work through those things. And super, this is going to sound a bit weird, but super fortunate that that happened before the pandemic hit, because when the pandemic hit, most of the world was going, oh, we're isolated for the first time in our lives. And I didn't feel that I went oh crap I'm going to be isolated again because the first 18 years of my life were isolated um, and so I was really glad that I had been able to deal with the stuff that had you know continued to impact me for that long because when the pandemic did hit it was difficult I was isolated um, but it was easier because I understood more and I'd been able to file that stuff away so it was definitely a process and I'd say to anyone you know, you don't always get everything sorted first time around. Sometimes we have to go back and revisit other ways of working through our mental health to find the right thing that actually gets us back to feeling better. 
Yeah, very much so. Very, very much so. And it's incredible, really, when you kind of look back at it now and you realize as humans, like our ability to normalize things, you know, like really, you know, you know, like you're talking about going running and feeling like you were getting getting chased. And we kind of know that that's not okay, but we just kind of get on with it. And that's like that's an incredibly human trait. It's a very common thing. But often when you look back, you can't really believe that you like lived in in that way for for so long. You think, how did I do it? I so I had um, and I still to an extent have this a little bit where I like to do things in threes. So um, like if uh, the car stereo or the temperature in the car has to be on a multiple of three. And I've had that for a long, and it was much more severe when I was younger. And someone had once said, oh, do you think, you know, you might have OCD? And I'd said, oh, don't be stupid. I don't like to clean all day, every day. And it's really interesting how we can rationalise behaviour also because of kind of the rhetoric that's out there around stuff. And, and quite honestly, it is OCD. If, if I don't do those things in that way, I believe something terrible will happen. Not so much now. I've, I've got, you know, I've learned to understand that and understand something terrible won't happen. But like how we normalise the things that we do based on kind of what's out there. And, and we could, you know, confront them much more easily if we just went, actually, do you know what? No, none of my friends do that. Like, is there a reason I'm doing that? And can I free myself a bit more from this behavior if I address it? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's that like, I don't know, sometimes when we do stuff, I know from my own experience when I do things and I just thought I was like really weird compared to everyone else. And just pretending not to be weird was exhausting and kind oh of made, God, ev- so made everything. Yeah, it really is, isn't it? And it kind of made everything worse. And I recently had a conversation with an author called um, James Withy, and I referenced this quote a lot because it really got me thinking. And he was talking about that and this idea of recovery. And he said, when you've been mentally ill, it's like a double recovery because there's recovery from the the illness itself and there's recovery from the carnage of pretending that you were okay and all the mess that that makes for you to kind of sift through as well and um, that just made so much sense to me you know I think every recovery is like a double recovery because it's not just the illness is it it's the chaos that that normalizing the stuff and it's interesting I'm actually writing a book at the moment and it is about exactly that like how much what energy would we have as humans if we stopped trying to be someone else if we stopped not acknowledging I mean I spent so long so obviously leave so we didn't have tv or anything growing up I didn't listen to popular music and when I first left home if there were conversations at college I didn't understand like the cultural references and I used to beat myself up about it and feel like I was a terrible person and then I decided I must fit a mold of of, I mean you should there were pictures of me in the mid-2000s wearing a, a ruddy neck scarf and jewels jumpers and that's not me at all that's who I thought that woman at that age should be and I I look back now and I think do you know what how cool is it that every film I've ever watched every piece of music I've listened to I know all of those after the age of 18 like how many people do that I mean I don't remember masses from films when I watched them because my brain didn't grow up consuming that kind of stuff so if you ask me do you remember x y or z in a film I'll be like oh I'd have to watch it again but like, actually, how cool is it that I learned all of that stuff after that age and I've been able to experience it and enjoy it and, you know, kind of see references in stuff that you might not have seen if you'd watched it when you were younger. Um, and, and yeah, and just like I spent so long trying to fit the mould of who I thought I should be. And I'm quite proud to accept that I 
I'm quite a naughty human. Like, I like to be mischievous. I, I am never, ever going to grow up. I made someone laugh yesterday because I'll show you this, Tom. This might make me laugh. You might have seen this on my stories. So I do have a bit of a wicked sense of humour. And I've been choosing some paint for my house at the moment because I'm doing it up. And um, when I was in B&Q, I realised that whoever named the paints in B&Q, they clearly love a good fart. And um, because every single card I looked at just sounded like a good name. So I actually have these on my desk. And for anyone who's listening, not watching, this is a pile of paint sample things. And these, I call these my fart cards. Um, <laughs> can we have a couple at random? You can what have, have you got there, um, let's go. We've got cabbage juice. Well, I mean, who hasn't been there? Um, <laughs> wisp of cocoa. Uh, <laughs> warm cement. <laughs> Do you see what I mean? Wet pebbles. That's a favourite. Yeah, that's a... Sweet potato surprise. I mean, And I just, I spent so long thinking that being an adult meant you had to be really mature about everything. And I can have very mature uh, and conversations if needed, but I also am never, ever going to be a sensible woman as people define us as grown-ups should be. And I spent a long time fighting that. And I'm actually okay with it now. And and, and one of the moments where I did become okay with it was um, I was on uh, a course with uh, Jamie Alderton, who's another fitness professional. And he'd said one week, next week, you should all be in your Christmas jumpers because it's December. And my friend said to me, I dare you to dress up as the Grinch, like full face makeup, the lot. And old Bond would have gone, no, you shouldn't do that. I mean, that's, you know, this is business stuff. That would be frowned upon. New Bond went, would be quite funny. And I was scared because it could have gone one or two ways. But actually, the minute Jamie looked up and clocked what I'd done, he was in stitches and it made everybody laugh. And it was a great experience. And I think like we should just embrace that so much more in life. Children enjoy life more than we adults do because they are embracing the silly things and they're not afraid to. And we become afraid to. And we just shouldn't be like just have fun. That's it. Yeah. Just all aspects of your, of your personality, all the things that make you, you, um, it's just so important to, to experience them and to express them. And I found myself with like, I'm a, I'm a a people pleaser in recovery is how I like to describe myself. And I, uh, you know, at one point I think I had so many masks for so many different situations. I lost sight of myself and a big part of my own journey over the last few years. And I'm still on that journey. I'm still working it pretty hard. It's just work out like, who the hell I am yeah. and even now I still do stuff and I kind of think like what'd you do that for that's not like yeah. you know you didn't really want to or you, you know like it's um it yeah. becomes quite it's hard isn't it to like it is and you apologize almost for being yourself and I'm very fortunate to have some friends that I've met in in more recent years who were just like why try and be anyone else just be you like just embrace that and I, I just you'll have more energy and you'll find yourself in situations and you can check yourself and go hang on a minute am I being Tom or am I being that that Tom and and just like just letting yourself have those moments and just go do you know what it's like and I think a lot of it boils down to confidence as well like to do that and the thing I learned is we don't all have confidence and actually it's not something you either have or you don't it's something you can grow and it's scary, but you just have to do the thing. And when you do the thing, you realise that wasn't so bad after all. And then you can do the next thing. And it just grows from there. And I think if more people were encouraged to just try, to just take that risk, you know, at the end of the day, people will either love it or they'll hate it. 
if they hate it, they're probably not the right people for you or we're all entitled to an opinion. So just carry on. As long as you're happy, as long as you're not doing anything illegal, I should say that, but like as long as you're happy, isn't that the most important thing? Yeah. Like, just just do it. Just be happy. Oh, mate, yeah. And, you know, it's like a leaning into things to prove that voice wrong you know yeah. and what, whatever that that voice might be telling you you're worthless it might be telling you you can't do this it might be telling you you shouldn't do that but just sometimes that's the only way to do it is to prove it wrong you know like oh, rather than battling with it internally and arguing with yourself um but know that it sometimes action you know it, well Craig, action speaks louder than words there you go first cliche <laughs> of the episode but but it's um you know but it's true right it, you know it sometimes is, you need yeah. to, to prove it to yourself and you know speaking of action when does fitness start to come into that story then bon you mentioned running before so, yeah so i mean growing up i was the most uncoordinated child i hit five foot seven at age 12 and i had size eight feet you can imagine my nickname at school was olive oil um i did look just like her um and I, I just was as about as sporty as a slug because I just, you know, just, but I was also being told constantly, you're not good at these things. So why try? Um, so I had a bit of a love hate relationship with sport at that point. Then in my twenties, I was just, I mean, I don't think I could have had the energy to function anything other than what I was at that point. Um, and it didn't actually become part of my life really until I was in my mid thirties. So in my early 30s I was a training manager for a restaurant chain and um, there was an accident in the kitchen and my face um, got burned with an industrial steamer and I inhaled the smoke it wasn't a particularly pleasant experience and from there was when the issues with my bones started to happen um, now the two are probably not particularly linked although it was assumed that maybe that's what triggered my immune system into overreacting um, I also think I grew up on a farm in the 80s and 90s. There were probably a lot of chemicals that didn't do my immune system much good either. So I was always obviously destined to go down this road. And um, over time, not really understanding what was happening, I did end up in a wheelchair um, because I was struggling to, to walk and to move. And um, all throughout that time, I was just like, I wasn't happy with that. I'd like That wasn't the future I had planned. Um, I was really lucky. I have the most amazing consultant who was literally like, we're just going to go on a working diagnosis. He did every test you can imagine to try and figure this out. And it took 10 years um, before he did figure it out. Um, and, and I feel very lucky that he did. And, and now I can take medication that helps me have a more active life. But my thing when I was in the chair was this isn't this isn't how it goes. Um, and we'd had lots of different medications that they tried. Um, lesser versions of like chemo drugs and things like that to try and stop my immune system from attacking me and um, nothing had worked and we I was going to see him and um, he'd said you know like we'll, we'll start thinking about how to keep you comfortable and things like that and I always used to say to him you know well one day I'm going to run a marathon and he'd just nod his head and just be like, for god's sake here we go again and um, I'd gone for about a six month period as my checkup and during that time, I'd been really focused on moving in whatever way I could. So um, although I was still in the chair predominantly, I'd asked for a frame and where I was in spaces where I felt safe, I would haul myself up on that frame and I would try and get a few steps going. Um, and it, it was frustrating. But for me, that was kind of not giving in to that situation was really important. And he had done another scan 
and he had it up on the screen and I thought he had someone else's scan up and I was thinking well, that's a bit mean because that looks like a fairly healthy skeleton there bastard and um he said, I don't know how to tell you this because we stopped all medication in April. Um, and I, he said, there's no medical explanation other than the fact that you are stubborn. He said, but this is your latest scan. And seeing that difference for me was the first time I think ever in my life I'd really felt hope. Um, I'm always someone who likes to think there will be better ahead um, because of where I've come from. Um, I do think with resilience, it's really important to understand it can get better and there can be more. Um, but I think it was the first time I truly actually felt hope was I feel, I feel a little bit emotional talking about it actually because <laughs> um, that's like 10, 10 years ago but like it was not 10 well, nearly 10 years ago but like it was that thing of this isn't it it's not finished it's not done here we go um, so from there I had um, like rehab and stuff and I took my first steps in late 2014 um, I remember I cried it hurt it was it was a lot and I had to learn to walk again which sounds really mad but actually like my legs didn't quite know how to do it anymore so over the course of two weeks I had some specialist therapy where they teach you how to walk again um, and in May 2015 so five months later I ran my first 10k um, because I'd said to him you know I, I'm, I'm gonna do it and he'd said well just be grateful if you can walk 5k like just just set your sights there and um one thing that it can be said about me as a human is never tell me I'm not going to do something because I will prove you wrong um and that kind of was how I got into sport so it was actually having the ability to do anything being taken away from me was how I then decided I need to do something um and for a long time I ran I'm really shit at running <laughs> I am like the world's worst runner, um, but I just like enjoyed knowing I'd got it done. So after that, I, I did have to have spinal surgery in the end. Um, and, you know, it's not it's not certain how my future will be, um, but I make the most of it. And um, so I kept doing little races here and there, um, but I was putting on a lot of weight. I have polycystic ovaries, which means I have gained weight as an adult female. Um, and over the 20 years up to I was 40, I tried every diet known to man. Um, and, and I feel sad about the things I did to my body in the name of weight loss. Um, and running was one of those things, although I still run now, but for fun. Um, and I just got larger and larger. Um, and I guess in February 2019, we went through a really tough time. Um, we were due to adopt one of the children that we had fostered um and it got um to the final court date and everything and it got pulled away from me and my weight was one of the reasons that they gave and that was a really low point and I was really fortunate at the time that I actually um through because I'm an artist on the side as well and um through my art I like to raise money for calm um, I'd had a friend who lost her partner by suicide and Calm were massively supportive of her uh, during that time. And so I feel quite strongly about the work that they do. And they happened to have a marathon place um, going. And there were 11 weeks to go to London Marathon. And they said, um, we know you need this right now. Just take the place. So they gave me the place. And six weeks later, I ran my first ever half marathon um in a time of four hours I mean I am so slow there are tortoises that can finish quicker than me but I got it done that was the main thing 
and um so I was really looking forward to the marathon but unfortunately during that half marathon I took a stress fracture to my uh tibia um I mean I was still weighing in at 322 pounds at that point in time so it was a lot for my body to deal with um but what was really lovely about that was I then couldn't run and it was depressing not doing the marathon but then to recover I had to get into the gym something I'd never really done and I discovered that I can lift weights and not only can I lift them I'm actually quite good at lifting them and I can lift heavier than other girls can and that was a massive turning point for me so the two together while I was running and obviously then injured I started looking at different kind of fitness things on on Instagram and there was one in particular I came across and I'm very lucky to be able to say that he's now a friend I consider him a friend and um it's Andrew Tracy. So he uh, he just enjoys movement. Like he was doing stuff with Kit at his house and, you know, just having fun with stuff. And I was like, I want to feel like that when I do exercise. I don't want to feel like I've got to do it and I must be on this diet and all the rest of it. And that was where I really started to explore instead, enjoying moving my body for the sake of moving my body. And Although obviously I focused on fat loss through being in a calorie deficit and understanding how that worked and things, it became more about actually just enjoying movement. And rather than putting pressure on myself to be a size 10 by Christmas or whatever, I let go of that. And and I should say it can be quite a confusing place for people because we have you have the body positivity and body confidence movements. Now, body positivity obviously originally was very much about marginalized bodies in in media and all the rest of it it's become more than that and a bit different and and that kind of message now almost is well you should like your body regardless and I didn't like I was so mad at it for many reasons um and then you've got the other end of the scale which is saying well you're in a larger body so you should feel ashamed of where you're at and you should be doing something about it and I did I did feel ashamed of where I was like you know you only have to get stuck in a chair in a pub once to feel that shame you only have to ask for the seatbelt extender on a plane to feel complete shame about it and those were the things that drove me to these kind of methods of weight loss because I thought that if I lost the weight that was going to make me happy confident like all of those things and 20 years of what I now call market research because obviously now I'm a coach I like to term that as something else showed me that none of those times that I actually lost weight did I feel any better And so seeing someone enjoy movement and then understanding that losing weight had never actually made me happy, I started to look at it really differently. Um, And it was interesting because once I chose movement that I enjoyed, it became really easy to keep doing it. And then I felt really happy and then I felt more confident and I still wasn't a tiny skinny little thing. I'm still not a tiny skinny little thing, but I'm happy. And I was like, this is mad. What, why are no more people not talking about this? Like, what, what is wrong with the world? And it just made me so sad that there's still, and there's no no offence to any coach that is out there because a lot of coaches still follow those standard programmes of do my fat loss challenge, this, that, the other. But like, I just realised there are so many people who aren't accessing fitness because they think they're not going to fit those things or who are still opting for what seem easier options because they think they're going to be happy if they lose that weight. And that isn't what it is at all. It has nothing to do with it. And 
I don't, I still don't like my body all of the time, but actually that's human, like that's okay. And the biggest moment for me, I think, was understanding that no matter where my body is at, I'm still me. Like I'm still that person and that person, and, and this, you know, I still feel slightly icky saying it, but I'm all right. Like I'm quite a nice person. I'm good fun. Someone did say a couple of months ago that I am the most funny person in fitness. I'll take that. Like just all of those little things and start to feel those and understand those. And suddenly you just want to keep going. And so it's been quite the journey in myself, that whole thing. And I run on occasion now, but I don't feel I need to do all the stuff that everyone else does. And it was interesting because when I started lifting and it was obvious I could lift heavier, everybody was like, oh, you need to go and be a strong woman. And I did do some novice competitions and I probably always will do a few just for the sake of it. But actually seeing what AT does with with stuff where he just goes off and does mad stuff because it just seems like he's going to have fun with it. That challenged me to think about, okay, what do I want to do? So last December, I did that marathon. And, um, but I didn't run that marathon. I did that marathon pulling a sled and I did it my way. Like, and I had the best time. It was the worst weather ever and everything that could go wrong did, but I had the best time. And you know what? I shall remember that marathon more than anyone I ran. And I just feel like we, and as you can probably tell, I feel very passionate about this because I think so many people are missing out on fitness because we think it's that way and I'm actually um, about to change like so I have done like the six-week programs for my clients but we don't focus on fat loss itself um, and I'm about to change all of how I work because I've sat down over the last couple of months had conversations with current clients and I think I've finally figured out how to make it so everybody can access it and I'm really excited about that and I know there's going to be negativity about it because I know there'll be people that will be like, oh, that's stupid. Why would you do that? But I'm so excited for the difference it could bring and to see other people enjoy. Like, and my clients, like I felt halfway through last year, oh, am I failing them because they're not all in the gym? And then we've had some Zooms this year where they're all making lists of the things they want to explore and do. And I'm like, you haven't failed anyone. Like, this is what it's all about. Like, just... Yeah, and I get quite emotional about that, like just seeing people enjoy moving their body regardless and, and knowing their value and their worth. That's all anybody can ask for. So that's my journey with fitness. And I shall continue to do mad stuff. I've got another challenge coming up in May. And I'm always just going to write my own script on that one and just, you know, enjoy. I want to be 90 and surfing. That's my thing. I just, you know, I just want to yeah. be able to do all that stuff mate yeah i'm here for it that's just um that's just wonderful i um for my day job i kind of work in like the rehab space and um you know i say to everyone that i work with i say whatever you're whatever you're training for whatever your goals whatever that's up to you right but there should always be an underlying focus on longevity you know whatever you're doing because you aim to be surfing when you're 90 you know, yeah. th that's the only way to be a 90 year old surfer. <laughs> and, yeah, exactly. and for years, all we've been told by the industry is be, be ready for summer, be ready for your friend's wedding, be ready for Christmas. I can still enjoy Christmas in the body I'm in because it's me, my, the person who will enjoy it. How I've, and I always say this, like 
Stephen Hawking, did anybody value him any less because of how he looked? No, he's made a massive contribution to society and the universe as a whole. And we valued it. So why do we all rock up every day, look at ourselves in the mirror and then completely devalue our contribution to society based on how we look? Like, do you see super, I mean, some supermodels may do things that change the world. So it's probably a really bad example, but do you know what I mean? Like it isn't just people you deem good looking that make a difference. Like you could have a face like a wrinkled ball sack, but if you're a really nice person, I want to know you. I want to get to know you. I want to spend time with you. I want to know the value of you. I just, yeah, I'm yeah, so over you, this whole. I mean, you, when you when you meet someone who looks like that, you want to know where they got them wrinkles from, right? Hell yeah! You, you don't get wrinkles like that without. Uh, I mean, if you look like that, that's got. Yeah. <laughs> exactly what I was going to say. Yeah, that is some story. Yeah. My um, my wife and I, we used to work abroad, and we used to. There was this old Dutch couple that um one year worked on the same resort as us and they were the the both of them were the most tanned wrinkly people you'll ever meet in your life and they were probably only like you know at the time we were like in our early 20s so they were probably like 40 as the same age as i'm now but uh, yeah but at the time they could have been if you'd have told me they were 40 or 140 i wouldn't have uh yeah and they would they were so happy they yeah. were so happy and every one of them wrinkles came from smiling and laughing together, you know, and it, we, Kim and I, we used to look at them and think, well, I want to be that wrinkly. I yeah. want to be because it's a sign of just having a, a, a lovely life where you just laugh and, and go yeah. through it. Absolutely. <laughs> but, it is just, and I just think we're so hell bent on just appearing a certain way rather than just embracing life and what it, the, 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 you know, what it leaves on us, like almost like a map of what our life has been. You know, like I used to beat myself up, so I have a scar on one. Well, I have obviously I have red face from from the steam incident, and I have scars on my body from different things. But actually, they tell the story of what my life has been so far. So, why do I want to hide that? Why do I want to deny that those things have been part of of where yeah. I'm at today? And it it comes down to that like authenticity again, right? Because essentially, you're trying to live your life by someone else's standards you know, by a standard that doesn't exist, which is, you know, even more challenging. You're trying to achieve something that, you know, might not even be achievable and so always striving for this thing. And it, it's that focus on the external, isn't it? And as yeah. long as you're focusing on external, you, you'll never heal the internal. No. You know, if you're, if you're desperate to look a certain way, it's probably something that internal that you're yeah. reflecting. And you could, external. you could look that certain way and still feel that way. And You'd I think that's so important for people to know is if you're not tackling where your brain is at and how you're feeling, you could still be feeling that way. I, I did a reel just a couple of days ago that said, it's not what fat loss that makes you go get that job or walk out of a toxic relationship or change your life. It isn't that that does it. It's valuing yourself enough to know your worth. So you demand more. So you, you demand more of yourself, of others, because you know your worth. And I just think, we just need to change that conversation away from I just think though if everybody ends up looking the same how boring is it going to be trying to find a partner how are you going to know what's attractive like what what are we going to do that's it yeah how are you going to know what your type is when everyone's the same yeah oh mate and we we have to learn that though right we have to learn that that acceptance and I think that's where um your way of looking at health and fitness really plays into that because it's, I think, from 
from finding that thing that we love because who'd have thought right doing something you love makes it easier to do wow what a realization right <laughs> it sounds so obvious but when you when you're in it you, you can't see the wood for the trees right you know nope. and that's the first thing people do i want to get fit and healthy i want to lose weight i'm going to eat salads and go running bump that's the first thing everyone yeah. does because that's what someone came up with in the 80s and but once you kind of start doing these things you enjoy and appreciate your body for what it can do. A lot of the times you get the other stuff as a byproduct. So you're going to change shape, yep. but you're, it's your mindset. I really do think this whole thing of like setting a, a challenge and seeing that through in the gym, you know, so it doesn't have to be yep. a big thing. It can be hitting a PB. It can be doing a, a bigger deadlift. It, it can be just like turn it saying you're going to go three times in a week and going three times in a week. That can be enough. And you do that for long enough and you can apply that to other areas of your life. So yeah. the job that you didn't go for, cause you, Oh, I'll never get it. Well, hang on. I never thought I'd get that deadlift and I got yeah. it. So maybe I could do some other stuff I never thought I could do. And it just kind of snowballs, right? It does. It, and this is my whole thing. I mean, in my community every week we set goals on a Monday. What's one thing you want to achieve this week? And I drop a little prize to one of them the next week. If someone, if they've hit it. And a lot of that is the premise of this new way I want to work moving forward is that, rather than setting people challenges where they're challenged against each other, it's your own personal. You set yourself those goals, you do those things. And it's not, fat loss is a side effect of all the other stuff I say. It's the other stuff that is like what changes life. And it just becomes easier because it just becomes second nature. Like it, and it goes from being, you know, we all want to be rewarded when we do well, it's natural. But actually the longer you can do that and achieve those things, it then just, doing it is the reward in itself and it becomes you know I did not the most I'd stuck at anything like this three years ago was like four to six weeks and I'm three years later and I do just sit there thinking how why was it so hard for so long and yet here you are and so it's possible for anyone and it's not just the gym though like I've worked with people who like can't yet get out of a chair to do anything and people don't realize we see all these oh here's a press-up regression do it on a slant and you've still got to be standing up actually did you know you can do you can recreate a press-up sat in your chair you literally put your hands on your knees and you push forward as if you're doing a press-up like anyone can do this my one of my best friends Gemma has cerebral palsy and um she has always been my biggest supporter she embarrasses the crap out of me by writing the most ridiculous signs when I'm at events um like have you eaten your wheat bix and stuff like that and she's run over me so many times with her chair it's untrue I actually did a race with her once we did the color dash and I'm never doing one with her again because she can go eight miles an hour and I bloody can't but she loves to get involved and do stuff and when I opened my little gym last year she came along and she was like oh, I'll never be able to lift weights I gave her a dumbbell and now she sends me pictures of herself like lifting stuff up and like anyone and everyone can access movement in the way that works for them and we've got to stop people thinking that they can't because they can't do x y or z like our only limitation is ourselves like try it if you can't do it it's fine try something else like yeah and that's something I think like sorry I do get very passionate about these things it's something I think was instilled in me from so young and like is that you should just know what to do and you should just have it all mapped out and you just go along that and I used to beat myself up for not having a 20 year long career or whatever do you know what I have more respect for the people who try stuff oh that doesn't work for me so I'm going to try this instead because 
you're going to get to enjoy life because you've actually explored it. You've taken the risks. You've done the things. I say that my nieces and nephews are now like 17, 18, and they're, you know, going on into their further education and stuff. And I'm like, don't worry if it doesn't turn out being the thing that you want to do for the rest of your life. Like you can change, you can retrain, like just enjoy the process of what it is you're doing. And I think we should focus more on the process than the things and just explore. Yeah, because it's what comes up sometimes that we weren't expecting during the process, right? You start going to the gym to rehab a running injury so you could be a runner and, you know, look where it went. It just, it, these are the things, that's the beauty of it, right? I also famously said in that first year, my coach at the time said, do you think you'll ever become a coach? And I told him to F off and don't be so ridiculous. So you just never know what the future, you know, if you'd asked me at 18, what is your life going to be? I would have said to you, I'm going to be an English teacher in Germany and I'm going to get married. I'm going to have children. And that's going to be my life. The only one out of those that ever happened was that I got married. Um, And like, I, I love where life is like, yes, there've been some really crappy, horrible times, but when I sit and reflect, I'm like, how lucky am I to have like, been able to experience different stuff to have known different people to have explored to have done the stuff and you know I think like we get so bogged down in the the tough stuff that we don't necessarily see the good bits out of that I like to think every day what's one good thing that even in the crappiest of days so you know just like find something um, not to be falsely positive, because I don't think that's a good thing. Like sometimes life is crap and you have to accept that it is crap, but just always knowing that it can get better and it's just take those steps and work towards it. Yeah, you can find hope in the smallest and strangest of things. You know, you mentioned before the importance of that moment of hope in your own journey, you know, and by picking out day to day those little moments of those little positives, you know, and sometimes you you get enough small wins and stack them on top of each other, you'll end up with a big win, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like that's the biggest thing as well. You haven't got to start big. You haven't got to literally go out there and do the same as everyone else does. Just start where you are. I couldn't do a push up. I couldn't, you know, I couldn't get into a proper squat. I certainly couldn't do a sit up. Like you just have to start somewhere and gradually you will see that improvement come along and you know, yes, it is confusing and scary because a lot of what we see out there is all these people doing these mad exercises and but just do what works for you. Like, and just that there are groups of people who will be there for you as a community and support you. And they're not mad people in the gym like that. They're just people who just want to be better. Yeah, definitely. Something I say to my clients is that um, your body doesn't know the words, right? So a push-up, someone's invented it. And yes, there are certain things that it's, you know, that if you have a certain desired outcome, then it's a very good way to achieve them. But other than that, it doesn't really mean anything. Someone invented it. Like it's not a thing. Your subconscious brain has no idea that you're doing a push-up. It just knows movement in different directions under different forces. And that is it. And you can apply that to to whatever you want. But you mentioned... um, community there as well and I think that's really important in in the fitness industry in your work is because so many people are put off from working on their physical health because they don't feel like represented or they don't have people talking like you're talking or they don't have people that look like them you know in front of them and I know like my my wife um she always prefers to train with a male personal trainer and she says because how am I going to be like on a mat in the gym red in the face 
you know, self-conscious hair all over the place. And I look up and my trainer is, you know, is this like immaculate woman's health cover model. She said, I can't do it. I need to be with the sweaty people, the uncomfortable people. That's me. (laughs) (laughs) That is me. But it's really important, isn't it? That, that, you know, everyone is represented. I think so. And like I get a lot of um, negativity and a lot of abuse from people about the fact that I am a coach and that I am not in a teeny tiny body and all the rest of it. And like, I'm OK with that. Like, that's their opinion, because someone has to be there and show people that it's OK, like that it is. And I'm not any less qualified just because I'm still on my own path. Like I've chosen to do this the long and slow way, and I'm quite OK with that. I think it is really important um, for people to feel accepted um, and to feel like that. I mean, in the community that I have with what I do, I I have ended up kind of being mum, really. I'm fitness mum to loads of people who need a a fitness parent, shall we say. And that means I'm super protective of it as well. Um, So when we don't compare to each other, um, you know, and they are the biggest bunch of cheerleaders you'll ever meet. And I think that has a lot to do with the fact that I have parented them in their (laughs) face. couple of years into this way of being but it is we don't do before and after photos we don't do all of these things we literally just celebrate day-to-day life and I think then that normalizes movement as just a thing rather than who's done this deadlift who's done you know my lot are more likely to post videos of themselves messing up on a movement than they are actually them doing a really good one because that's just they've learned to see the fun in it but they've also learned that I think a lot of the time we tend to look for external validation um, and the only person who needs to validate what you're doing is, is you um, ultimately literally just you. So I think I'm quite proud of the fact that they don't post lots of videos up for that validation. I mean, they'll come to me as their coach and say, can you check this movement? Am I doing it correctly? But I love that they're more likely to post when they've messed up or like one of them got a carpet burn the other day for mobility and, posted a picture of it and the rest of them are like yeah yeah that's what you're calling it now is it mobility you know just like completely having fun with it rather than having to be super serious oh, I did all these reps in the gym or I did this that and and we've got people at all different levels and I think that's just so important and they're they're finding it okay for it to be a longer journey for it to be a process rather than thinking they've got to achieve it by the end of this set of time um so I'm a little bit proud of that. They're an awesome yeah. bunch. They yeah. really are. You should be more than a little bit. You should be a hell of a lot, <laughs> mate. It's, you know, in the mental health conversation, we talk about being kind to ourselves. We talk about acceptance. So let's do it, right? You yeah, know, absolutely. let's do it. Let's And let's not just do it about mental health. Let's do it about our physical health. And yeah. then let's let's help each other so to do it, so. right? Community, we, let's all do it together. I, I have a real issue with, so I will show photos of like my progression uh, over the last few years to show people that you can come from being where I was to where I am now. It's actually nothing to do with the physical transformation itself because actually the first picture will always be when I was in a chair and then we're heading towards when I'm doing mad stuff now. I don't like before and after photos. I have, I feel like they are a form of fat shaming your former self. You are saying, look at me, I'm better than I was then. And actually, yeah, you might be fitter and you may have lost some weight, but you're still you, like, and you shouldn't. Like we shouldn't be making because there'll be someone who is at the point that your former self was at and you're essentially telling them that they're a lesser of a person. So I have a real 
you have a real bugbear about before and after photos. Yeah, I love that. Like, why draw a line under anything? Like, you know, what, when does the after stop? If you're going to do it I, like that, is there exactly another after? That. And you keep chasing this after until you, till you, you know, till you're unhappy it, it, again? There shouldn't be an after. It's just life. Do you know what I mean? If if we stop seeing it as I hit a certain point, um, and we just see it as this is the path I'm on then we make it long-term, we make it lifelong, and we're teaching people that fitness is for the rest of your life rather than just to get in a bikini for the summer or, you know, whatever. Just do those things, but value yourself enough to make sure that you have good health as you get older and you can do the things for as long as possible. Yeah, yeah, and that's lovely. It's a lovely way, lovely way to live. I wanted to ask you, Bon, as well, and I'm conscious about your time. We've been chatting for ages now, mate. Sorry. (laughs) No, not at all. I've enjoyed it. You talk a lot. I'm I'm looking at my, mate, I can go full Rogan at the drop of a hat. (laughs) It's not a problem for me. Um, I'm looking at my notes and I'm thinking, oh, there's so much I want to ask her. No, just ask, um, ask away. But I'm outside of the gym. I'm really interested. Um, are you still doing, do you still do a bit of art? Do you still express yourself through that I way, Bon? do, yeah. I, do you know, I do. Not as much as I did, but I, I do still. I um, I like to like paint little things for people's birthdays and stuff. And I do do stuff in that. I tried to paint a cat last week and it went horribly wrong. It looked like someone had stood on its head. So I'm back to the drawing board on that one. But it's, I think so many people are afraid to be creative because again, they think they've got to be good at it. And art is subjective. Like, literally, you cannot be shit at it because someone will like what you did. You look at some of the stuff you see on supermarket shelves in frames dressed up as art. Like, I could fart that. I'm going back to farts again. But, like, I think there's just so much to be said for being creative and just kind of enjoying yourself in, in whatever way, shape, or form. And, again, for me art is a way of escaping it's you know I can let out what's in my head onto a canvas um and you know if we stop worrying about how good it is and instead just worry about enjoying the movement of and the enjoyment of all those colors and all the rest of it then that's that's a great thing isn't it and it's just I've had so much fun with adults making slime and just doing random bizarre stuff and it's just again it's just something I think we think we've got to be good at but yeah. we should just enjoy that creativity in whatever form that may be. So yeah, I do still do still do bits and bobs. And yeah, it's, it's always very... going to be something that I do. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I just think it's as we get older and journey through life, these it's our creative pursuits that tend to fall away. Yeah. And that has a huge impact on mental health, having a creative project, a way of expressing yourself. And it doesn't have to be, you know, writing art or music, which is the three things, you, you know, if yeah. you, when people say creativity, people think it's those three things. No, no. But um, you can do so much, can't you, as a way to yeah. like express yourself. and You and could go into them. Tesco's and rearrange the spice shelves to say rude words. That's creative. Yeah. And it's just it, an know, idea. I think that's a fantastic idea. Yeah. And if you do that, tag Bon on your social tag media. Tag me in it. If you go into B&Q and you find extra fart cards, tag me in them. If you go into Tesco, Sainsbury's, wherever, and you rearrange those, there's so many things you can do in life, like to enjoy life. Um, and just, you know, there is, if you go in there, I guarantee if you go into whatever supermarket you go to later on and you find a word that you can make out of those spices, you will come away feeling happy chilled you know just like everything is well with the world and and that's you know that's creativity it just allows you just to like make a face with the vegetables in the vegetable aisle I don't know just whatever Tesco's yeah, are gonna well. hate me after this but like <laughs> <laughs> 
it is the small things like just it really is yeah and they shouldn't just it. because they're small they should not be um underestimated no. you know really no. shouldn't and just before we go bon you mentioned um did you say before you've got a challenge coming up you've have you got have. Anything, come on then what have you um what have you come up with, with this <laughs> oh god uh, i'm gonna be just, i'm not gonna be moving for the rest of 2022 once i've completed this um so I felt I needed to do something a bit more than the old sled pull. So um, next month I turn 44. So I head into my 45th year of my life. Um, and so to celebrate that, I am going to complete uh, 45 kilometres of tyre flips, 45 kilometres of farmer's carry, 45 kilometres of weighted vest run, 45 kilometres of assault bike, and then, because that probably wasn't enough to do in a month, uh, I'm going to lift 45,000 kilos. Wow. So that's going to break down over the course of the month. Um, so every day I'll be doing a bit of movement towards each of those. Um, right, so you're going to chip away at them all kind of like simultaneously yeah. through the... Uh, yeah. yeah, I'm excited because this time around there's like an app um, that I'm doing it through so people can come into that and there's like a chat and a notice board so they can like get involved and see what I'm up to have a go at the training or whatever or you know don't do the whole thing only an idiot would do that only but, an idiot, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, the, you know the bar's getting pretty high now though. you know but like this is the thing i'm setting this bar in my mid-40s what the hell am i gonna do when i'm 90 go surfing oh, i'm just well it's gotta be worse than that though hasn't it because surfing would be too easy so <laughs> Oh, mate. Well, um, it's wonderful to see. I think that's, I was trying to think how you came onto my radar and I think it was the sled pole. I was think it? someone, there must be someone we know in common shared it. And um, yeah, I thought that was, um, that was an incredible. Um, I really enjoyed kind that of watching work. that, that play out. And the, the training for that looked as hard as the actual The thing. training was like, worse than the thing. Hmm. Um, yeah, it was it, mentally, that was a tough couple of because it took a so where I was supposed to be doing it got cancelled out of a few days beforehand luckily a local campsite were like oh it's off season come down to us but then we had loads of rain so the campsite was like a bog everything that could have gone wrong went wrong um and it was supposed to take me about 15 to 18 hours and it took me 22 so um and we had terrible rain and all sorts and uh yeah but it got it done there you go. We've got a little uh, little visitor. Do you want to come uh, say hello to mini you. Hello. Yeah, say hello. <laughs> there you go. Oh, he's been good as gold playing his Nintendo downstairs oh, while Daddy does a oh, podcast. Oh, I do love a so, Nintendo. Uh, oh, mate. That's probably uh, <laughs> a good place to uh, to wrap it up, mate. And I've enjoyed that immensely. It was lovely to meet you. And um, thank you so much for your time today. No, thank you so much for having me, proper mental podcast please like and subscribe the space time